Hey everyone, we have launched Two Kids on the Block as an official podcast standalone, so in about two, three weeks, we will be posting exclusively there. It is still free to listen and free to subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Thanks for listening. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Two Kids on the Block. I'm your co-host, CryptoCoin Kid. And I'm Ben Wong, your other co-host on today's episode. We have a very, very, very full slate. We have like, what, five, six things we want to cover. But again, all around NFTs and cryptocurrency. By the way, if you're listening to this on the Kid CEO podcast, we have created a new official podcast Mm -hmm. for the show called Two Kids on the block with Camille Lafontaine and Benjamin Wong. Uh, you can get that mm-hmm. Apple Podcast or Spotify. So we'll be posting on the Kid CEO podcast for maybe this episode and one more. But afterwards, we are starting to transition only on the podcast. Again, though, it's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe or, or leave us a review. Uh, yes. Anyways, Camille, what's first on our slate for today? I think first I would like to cover about um, censorship because recently I had something happen to my YouTube channel where I upload a video on crypto and that video got deleted from the YouTube channel because it was violating some YouTube code that I didn't know even existed. And I tried to appeal to it, but I still got rejected and they said said it still violated (laughs) their terms of service. So I would just like to take a minute or two to explain my experience with censorship. As you probably know, Ben, crypto has always been a bit of a dangerous topic to speak about on YouTube or any social media with all the scams around crypto, with everything happening in crypto. A lot of people have gotten their channels deleted with hundreds of thousands of subscribers just gone, wiped out. So ever since I started this channel, I always got hate comments and all that stuff because I joined that literally the exact time my first video was uploaded was when the bear market was at the bull market was at its peak. And then the bear market happened right after that for like the next two years. So during that time, my thing blew up after the couple months with 20,000 views with like in just a month, which is crazy to me. And after that, the the bear market happened and then I got started getting all these hate comments and YouTube warnings that like, oh, be careful talking about this because we might delete your channel. I got like five warnings during that time. None of them were that severe since I was a minor back then, just talking about it. And I would always get those okay, those normal comments like, oh, you are a scammer. You made me lose my money. You're cringe. <laughs> and ever since that always was happening and it helped me a bit when YouTube released COPPA and which prevented a lot of these hate comments. But uh, for some reason, a small part of me kind of wants to see the hundreds or even thousands of hate comments because (laughs) ever since I started my channel, I always looked at hate comments with an open mind and I always looked as they were just constructive criticism to improve. Even if they were just like super negative, I could always find something in them to improve with. So going back to censorship, 
uh, I got my first ever severe warning on December 3rd. And I made this video, it was a short, because I just wanted to make a couple shorts just to experiment. And it was how to download a YouTube video. It seems pretty normal. And then it just got deleted. That video literally just got deleted. It had like 200 views. And then it got a warning. Uh, it's just this yellow box from YouTube, an email to my Gmail. <laughs> it said, be careful what you're talking about on this channel. You violated uh, our code on our channel for advertising this this whole thing. I think it's because they probably, their bot probably assumed that I was trying to advertise stealing content or like stealing videos right. to upload it and make money, which I wasn't. I was just like showing how to download a, a song on YouTube right. or something. And I tried to appeal to it. Appeal basically meant just speaking to them and trying to make it seem like they made a mistake. They rejected me five times. I tried to do that five times. Wow. And now the second time, if I get this a second time, YouTube does something where they have a 90-day period from your first warning till that warning ends. And if I get two more warnings inside that period, my channel gets deleted permanently, which is terrifying to me because I spent a lot of time on this channel. Right. I put a lot of effort into it. And it's just scary how quickly my channel could just be deleted like that, like Thanos, just gone. <laughs> and I really, I really, really wanted to make a video about this but at the same time i was really scared that i would get another warning and they couldn't upload for right. two weeks and especially now it's the 24 days of crypto christmas i really want to upload during this time so it's kind of like these big corporations have all of us small creators in their grasps like we have to listen to what they say or else we literally can't do anything because i'm still really small if my channel got deleted people would just be like well Okay, right. it's just that. Whereas someone with a million subscribers, people would notice that they're gone because they probably watch yeah. their videos every single day. So I would like to ask you a question, Ben. Have you ever been affected by censorship or have you ever gotten like a lot of hate? So censorship, I have. Yes, actually I have. I, I almost forgot about this. So I had my summit, um, I had like a video for it. And what was it exactly? It was no, I, I, it was a regular. It was a video. I downloaded a song from YouTube, but it was no copyright, mm -hmm. um, and so I put it up, and that got taken down. Luckily, I appealed, and in like twenty minutes, it was back up. Um, but I, I also was, I think, shadow banned for a little bit, um, because <laughs> like, and I, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I kind of feel like I was for a, a small, not small. It, it was a substantial period of time. Where I was a little bit shadow banned. Oh, Ben, what does what does shadow yeah. banning mean for the people listening? Oh yeah. What is so a shadow ban is like if I if I remember this right, it's like they they kind of banned you, but you don't know and no one else knows except uh, they just okay. kind of they hide your content from people, so you can uh, post, okay. just people can't see it, and also you can't like people's mm. posts. So it's kind of like they're banning you, but you're not that. Like, they're like, you did something wrong. We're not going to tell you what, though. But you did something wrong. And <laughs> we're not going to tell you that. We're just going to kind of, for a little bit, tone down everything you do. But you don't know that. And another <laughs> is your audience. They just won't see your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then in terms of hate comments, I have started getting some hate comments. And, like, honestly, I, I feel like hate comments give me a, a sense of validation, like like I'm doing <laughs> something kind of cool that I get hate comments because you know you hear about like celebrities and like they all, they get 
it's like, wow, I get any comments. And so so uh, <laughs> I think initially I deleted them. Now I don't delete them anymore. Now, like, and I think it's also really important to distinguish hate comments from, like, criticism. Um, yes. You know, criticism is, no, not even criticism, just someone else adding their thoughts. Like, I posted something about, uh, about abundance and, and I don't know if you saw it. I posted it, like, two hours ago. And mm-hmm. it was about, um, the quote was, life isn't a competition, we can all win together. Yeah. And I talked about abundance, and, and so someone commented, um, someone else's way of winning is different from you, there's a different take here. And so, at first I was a little confused, but then I was like, yeah, actually, so I, that actually was something I wanted to talk about in the comment, or in the comment, it was either that or what I wrote, but I thought of a better quote to put as that. So I commented that and responded, I don't know if you can see it, but I commented like uh, super true and how everyone has a different path to happiness and everyone has a different way of winning and everything like that. Um, so that's that's different because that's actually like they watched or they read and they're giving their thoughts on it. And it does add yeah. value because that is an important piece of it that I didn't initially type in. On the other hand, there are some hate comments like uh, screenshot it. I, I tagged you on one of yeah, those, right? Yeah, yeah. I get those <laughs> once every once every reel. I get someone who says, "Just screenshot it." <laughs> what, what would what would be your your reaction to that? Um, honestly, I see that I see that so many times. Even my video that I made about that always gets those comments. I see videos that go viral with like five million views about making memes about screenshotting NFTs, and <laughs> I honestly would respond to that like, well. That's like saying, oh, I can make, I can just order a fake Mona Lisa on Amazon and they have the Mona Lisa. Like that's, that's not true. You technically have the painting, but you don't have the original copy, which is the actual valuable piece of it. And I think people, I see where they're coming at. I see that they're coming like, why are people valuing these pictures? But NFTs aren't just pictures. They're more, way more than pictures they can be tied to something in the real world that they're just making it digitized because sometimes people don't live near that object or they can't bring it there right now. And that's honestly my reaction when people say that. It's just such a common argument in my opinion. Yeah, it's. I take it with a grain of salt just because at the rate at which they do it, it's. I no longer give it like too much value because, like, sure, if I post something and a kid or even an adult says, why can't I just mm. screenshot it? Then I respond and I say, and I talk about the Mona Lisa analogy. I talk about, you mm. know, if you take a selfie with the Mona Lisa, is that, does that belong to you? No, because you don't have the original. So in terms of that, like that, that would be thoughtful. If they said, mm. why can't I just screenshot it? They are likely genuinely looking for why can't they just screenshot it? Or they're confused or they need some, some yes. something to help out and understand why they can't just screenshot it. Now, when you say sc- just screenshot and do that every single post, that I can't give that value anymore. I respond to the comment and I I, I put like an emoji, like a camera emoji or something like that. <laughs> but like I think that that's also very important though. With hate comments, distinguishing, and this is for everyone out there who's a creator. Um, Hey comments, it's important to look at the thoughtful ones in criticism. Hey man, your audio, I can't hear it at all. Hey, yeah. um, 
this doesn't really make sense. Can you clarify? That, that's not even hate comments, but like, it's important to look at criticism. And they said, you're, you're talking too fast, you know, whatever. Exactly. That that's that you, you should take that and listen to that and adjust. Now, if they're literally just saying, shut up, <laughs> right? Or something <laughs> like that. Now, yeah. that's, that's a different thing because it's no longer thoughtful at all. They're just, and, and, and with that, I will say this today, and I will always say this, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure you agree because this is a very yeah. Gary Vee-esque thing. Have a lot of empathy for those people who listens to a, a 12-year-old's content and decides to hate on it, okay? <laughs> Have, honestly, don't even get mad at them. Imagine, you know, listening to a 12-year-old's content, and the first thing you're hearing is, I hate this, you know? <laughs> so have a lot of empathy. Have a lot of empathy. Can we get back to you? All right. I absolutely agree with you, Ben. People, it's, yeah, have a lot of empathy to those people because I that's what you have to think about the thought process they're have, have, <laughs> yeah. having. Like, you look at a 12-year-old's content, just trying to make content to make people interested, and then you just decide to make something like a death threat to them. Like, what are you doing yeah. with uh, your imagine, life when you're doing that? <laughs> imagine a, a, a 40-year-old man or woman on YouTube Finding a guy named Crypto Coin Kid. He's a 12-year-old from Canada. He makes content about cryptocurrency. He's not trying to sell you anything, you know, other than a book. And the first <laughs> thing you think of is, I hate this. <laughs> Imagine the place that that must be coming from is a... Have empathy, okay? Just, yeah. just imagine before you try to respond and say, hey, I hate you or block them, <laughs> you know, yeah. have a lot of empathy. You are most likely in a better place than them. You know, you have a YouTube channel, you're doing what you love, or you have an Instagram, whatever. You're doing what you love, you're creating cool content, you're interacting with cool people. You're probably in a much better place than the guy who's browsing YouTube to hate on kids. Okay? (laughs) So, have a lot of empathy. Uh, Now, officially, back to you. Exactly. Okay. So, one of the final points I want to make is... Whenever I upload a video, I really want to try to follow the rules while also trying to like state my my view on this thing or that thing. And sometimes I like to add little like tiny spy things where I just hide things throughout the video. So like the YouTube algorithm doesn't specifically see it, but they see the message that right. I'm trying to give. And you kind of wonder what the world looks like with all the suppression. Like what are people actually going to share or how are they actually going to think if they're going to have to follow these rules. The internet's not going to be a free place. It's going to just be people following the rules, trying to make like a like a kind of way to express their opinion, but it's really just going to be a way to like more oppress people. And that world is going to be very scary to me and pretty boring because you're just going to see the same people saying the exact same things. And I saw something where it's like the human needs and one of them is variety. If everyone's saying the exact same thing, that's not interesting. That's kind of like the point of web two. They're trying to give people their own opinion and trying to spread it online. That's why I love Reddit, Twitter. They give their own opinions and they help people understand something more. And this is a big part of crypto because censorship resistance in crypto is one of the biggest topics that crypto is trying to make like china has tried to ban bitcoin hundreds of times like if you look at the history (laughs) of china banning bitcoin you probably just see a news report of china buying bitcoin for the 10th time just like oh that's just normal and bitcoin it always survives 
like the miners. I remember one time there's this graph where it shows the Bitcoin miners. Most of them were in China. And when China banned Bitcoin earlier in 2021, it dipped super low. But then now it's just like, it's just how it was before it recovered. My third point I want to make is the world needs opposing voices. So we can get smarter, we can grow from debate. Right. Because I love debating against people, not to prove my point, not to say that I'm better, not to say that I'm right, but, but to improve my yeah. own argument. Exactly. Learn. And the only way to do that is to accept that people will say things that you do not like, and that is okay. It's just like Gary Vee sometimes says, to follow people on both sides of the argument, to follow the people that are pro what you like and pro right. what you don't like. Because you have to see both sides of the equation or else you're being very blindsided. It's like you're looking out of one eye and you're not seeing throughout the other eye. Yeah. You really have to look at the, all the agreements, all the disagreements, so you can improve your own argument better. Here's the here's interesting thing. Um, I'm reading a book called Psychology of Money. I had to go take a look at it real quick. Mm-hmm. So in that book, and I, 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 I agree 100% with this, no one is crazy. That's literally the chapter is no one is crazy. So here's a really, really, really interesting thing that I didn't know. You know what income level buys the most lottery tickets? Guess. The, I honestly don't know. The lowest income level paycheck to paycheck buys by far the most lottery tickets than anyone else. Mm. That, Right? So you would think, wow, and then from everyone who isn't living paycheck to paycheck, which I would, you know, is is the good majority of everyone listening, if you're listening to the podcast, like, that seems crazy. That the people who yeah. can't afford to buy new shoes are buying $400 in lottery tickets a month? Yeah. That seems wow. crazy. And like, it was crazy to me. But then... It's really difficult for for anyone except those people to understand why, right? We are all here. We're okay. We're literally here talking about NFTs and the possibilities and the opportunities <laughs> that we have. There are people though who don't have any of of the direct opportunity in this space. They they have to work every single day to care for their family. They're paycheck to paycheck. The and 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 so initially we think, why are they buying lottery tickets then? Well. They are. They feel, and if you put yourself in their perspective, it is not completely wrong. They are in this position where there doesn't seem like there's any hope, where they're in a job that there doesn't seem like there's any promotion opportunity. They're in a place where there isn't a huge opportunity to to grow. So what do you do when there's very little opportunities in front of you? You buy lottery tickets because <laughs> buying a lottery ticket has a better chance one in a million you know one in a few million has a better chance of you getting to where you want to be than than anything that's in front of you so yeah what i mean by this going back to what you talked about no one is crazy if you're listening to someone and they're like and, and you're like like you need a and like you're just really mad <laughs> really angry at them because what they're saying sounds completely wrong it's yeah. very important to understand no one is crazy no one or very few people, I would say, but, but the raw majority of people are not bad people. I, I personally believe that everyone's a, a good person who might do bad actions. I understand that, first of all. 
demystified that they're like crazy because they think something else. We live in a, we need to live in an and society, not an or society. Yes. And just be so open-minded to everyone. And, and listen to those opinions. Doesn't mean you have to agree to them. Doesn't mean you have to spend hours a day reading the opposing side point of view. But be open to it. Follow both sides. Listen to everything. Exactly. Don't be obsolete. It doesn't have to be completely black and white. There's a gray area. That's that's my two cents. <laughs> nice. That is a really great point. I totally agree with that. So, like, in a similar way, crypto was kind of like that lottery ticket. People yeah. all the time, even the statistics show that people, even with good-paying jobs, are quitting their jobs to get into crypto because they made life-changing gains with crypto. And... Crypto was like a similar kind of hope that people get from lottery yeah. tickets because they believe that this one thing could change their life forever. And, and here's, not someone, mm-hmm. here's an, an interesting thing real quick. You could also say that's on the other point of view. Imagine not being too stable financially and you're looking at mm-hmm. someone and, and like, wait, they quit their job at, at Goldman Sachs to, to, go, to go create a flower project. so from that point of view that person also seems crazy so just real quick demystify no one is crazy whether they're living paycheck to paycheck and buying hundreds of dollars of lottery tickets or leaving a high paying job to go create flower nfts no one is crazy all right back to you (laughs) Camille. all right yeah that's true nobody is crazy they're just trying to find different opportunities, different ways that you could potentially make money because I bet the people that invented the internet were seen as crazy. I remember reading a book when I was younger. It's called Get a Horse. And it's about when Henry Ford first made the first ever car. And people were always yelling at him, get a horse, all that stuff. (laughs) And uh, like this was back in the 1800s and everyone was riding horses. If you saw someone riding a horse, you would probably yell at them, get a car. (laughs) (laughs) And it's... He was seen as crazy, but now cars are literally the thing that everyone uses. No one rides horses anywhere in the world. It's all cars. Right. And I want to switch the topics to NFTs and DeFi and how those, okay. what happens when those two combine. So NFTs are often seen as just artwork online, but there's also another part to this that explodes when you combine it with DeFi. First What's of all, let's just define... Uh, DeFi stands for decentralized finance. First of all, let's just define NFTs and DeFi again. NFT stands for non-fungible token, ERC721. This is all of your digital art, music, etc. It's the thing that Jay-Z put on his profile, a Twitter, CryptoPunk, and an ERC20, which is DeFi, are tokens on the Ethereum network. You can trade these tokens for other tokens using decentralized exchanges. You can swap them without needing to use a centralized exchange like Coinbase. DeFi is all the tools you need to do this. Three things I want to point out when this combination happens. Number one, imagine trading the underlying asset, NFT, on an exchange. Usually NFTs are seen as low-velocity assets. That, that basically means they don't move very often. good example is CryptoPunks. CryptoPunks, if you look at the floor price, it's like blank. It's just two dashes. Right. <laughs> It's because barely CryptoPunks ever sell. If one CryptoPunk sells, the thing goes up like 200% because it's just that low. The floor price is like, I don't know what, it's like over through five, half a million dollars. It's absolutely crazy. And number two, you can take 
an NFT, like a CryptoPunk, and fractionalize it into a bunch of smaller pieces. They do this all the time with assets like companies, that's what stocks do, or real estate. So now, there's a bunch of pieces of an NFT, which comes as the underlying asset that backs all these pieces, and it can be traded more easily because they're not so expensive. That is really nice for people that can participate even more. Because if you're looking right. at a board ape, you're like $250, $250,000. That's a lot of money. A great <laughs> right. example is um uh, the original Dogecoin NFT. It sold for 4 million back then and now they fractionalized it. And I'm pretty sure now all these NFTs are worth over $162 million all of them combined. Wow. It's absolutely crazy that this 4 million NFT now has 162 million backing that. I'll just go back to my second point. They do this with assets and companies. They always split them out into smaller pieces. Number three, you have a bunch of data which now can provide what you need for some kind of algorithm to calculate the valuation of these NFTs. Because NFTs on the open market are sold for a high variety of different prices. Some are sold for 0.001 ETH, whereas some are sold for like 89 ETH. Absolutely crazy. And essentially, this is trying to make it so essentially a computer calculates the NFT for its core underlying value. People always do this with houses like Zillow.com. You can go check a house and see what it's valued at and see what the actual listing price is. And this is essentially helping all of the new people not get ripped off, essentially, because a lot of people overpay for NFTs. A lot of NFTs are overpriced. A lot of them are underpriced even. And this is just helping people get a bang for for your buck. (laughs) And this takes all of the illiquid, unsellable NFT art and allows you to make it easier to buy when it's fractionalized, exactly like the stock market. Because the more people that get into a project, the more it will be able to grow. Just like that Doge project that I was talking about earlier, the four million from that one FT is a lot, but that's from one person. Oh yeah. The 162 million dollars would have never happened if all these people never joined. That's why the number one things that most NFT projects do is build the community first, because with the oh, biggest yeah. community, the yeah. people sell the most. A really cool side benefit of fractionalized idea is that you can now build a community super fast with all without having all of them pay 100,000 to be a part of the bougie yeah. club like yeah. how people pay 100,000 and now they're a crypto they're a board ape person but why can't everyone be a board ape if you like really love the brand you don't have to pay 250,000 to be in it these doge pieces are selling for less than a dollar and that's essentially what i want to say about nfts and defi combining back to you ben yeah i really love that idea of of being able to own a part of it. I almost want to like once we get some more subscribers on the show, if we have like a thousand of them, if everyone puts forward a hundred dollars, we can buy what's that a thousand I'm homeschooled, so I'm a little I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> one what's one thousand times a hundred? One zero zero um zero zero it's zero like ten um, dollars. Ten dollars times a hundred dollars. No, a hundred dollars. A times a thousand. Hundred dollars times a thousand. I'm pretty sure that's like that's a hundred thousand. I'm pretty sure. All right. 
Like Once we get traction on this, I'm very tempted <laughs> to create a, like a, a two kids on the block fund. Everyone <laughs> contributes a hundred dollars, and we'll we'll buy a, a billionaire ape job club, and or maybe like we'll buy a few V friends. Okay, like if everyone just contributes a yeah. little bit, we'll buy a few V friends. We all share the ownership. We can sell it in five years, and everyone can can get their money. You know, <laughs> that would be really cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right, let's talk about uh, digital art. So, and I guess this also relates to art in general. And art is very subjective. The value of a selfie of me and Kamea right now is subjective to how much you will pay for it. I mean, I'm sure there are some people, maybe our parents, who pay $100 <laughs> for our picture. Now, on the same time, I'm pretty sure Gary Vee wouldn't pay very much for a selfie <laughs> of me and Kamea right now. So, yeah. art and digital art is very, very, very subjective. How do we know how much to pay for a, a piece of art, especially if this is a, a first-time buy? I think there could be a variety of ways. Since everyone has different opinions on valuable art, some people think NFTs are absolutely trash. People think um, board apes are absolutely ugly. Some people really love board ape and their art, art style. Yeah. So I totally agree with you that it's really subjective to what they really love. And I think you have to think about how we think about brands. Most people look at Adidas and they, when you wear it, you know you're part of that brand. And most people right. like Adidas in like the majority, there are probably a couple of people that really hate Adidas, but yeah. majority <laughs> loves Adidas. Same with Gucci. A lot of people always buy Gucci to sort of show off, show off something. So I think there could be a way that people could cooperate and make something based on people's views to see if they actually value this. Yet again, people's views always change. One thing could happen to the creator of that NFT and then their views totally change. So the same thing, the same issue exists with traditional art nowadays because I don't know if I want like a Picasso drawing. <laughs> right. Like I don't value it as much as someone maybe a hundred years ago. Back then people would like, buy art and then these rich people would come and look at your art like wow you have such a refined taste where did yeah. you get this but now right. people are people are whoa crypto punk one two three exactly yeah. exactly now people look at your twitter profile and they see a crypto punk on there and they're just like nice man you got that crypto punk that's pretty awesome so but if i don't want a picasso but i really want a bored ape Am I wrong? Like, there is a lot of different opinions in this world, and it's a really big world. So there's a lot of factors depending on what you like and depending on what the society thinks. So right now, it's kind of like trading. You have to decide what people think is the most valuable project, and then you have to get into that one. And this is really hard to do. People spend hours just looking for one gem that goes up like 10x. This is a really hard thing, and that's why you always have to join the servers because they always give good, they give the alpha, which is essentially the top information about this project. Right. And you have to develop a sense of what's cool in the market. And it's like, sounds weird, but people refine, just like how people refine a taste for art, you have to develop that taste for NFTs if you want to choose the big winner. Big winner chicken dinner. <laughs> and you just 
you have to just develop these skills that allow you to be either developer or someone that picks the big winners. So that's essentially what I think when people want to find the value of an NFT. Back to you, Ben. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm, I was telling my mom yesterday. You know the the Tom Sachs Rocket Project. Mm-hmm. So, I was listening to Gary Vee's podcast and and he was talking to Tom Sachs, and like, very honestly, when I have an IPO or when I sell a company or when I, whatever, when I get a huge you know amount of, of spendable money. There's a very good chance that I will not. I mean, there's almost ninety percent chance I'm not going to buy any Picasso or Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci. There's a pretty good chance I'm going to buy, you know, some Tom Sachs rockets. Or there's a pretty good chance I'm going to buy a CryptoPunk and print out and keep it on my wall for the rest of my life. There's a pretty <laughs> exactly. good chance I'm going to buy a, a billionaire at Bell Club. There's a pretty good chance I'm going to buy a V friend, and that's that's very important because and and also. If you look at the people who bought these projects a long time ago, wasn't okay. First, CryptoPunks was free. Okay, billionaire at Yacht Club was like what two hundred to five hundred dollars somewhere around that. Yeah, V Friends. Yeah, it was around was, was five hundred to a thousand. The current price, over half a million, over a quarter of a million, and about half of a hundred thousand, so thirty thousand. So. That was just whoever bought on those projects. Were they lucky that they just chose a random project that happened to do well? <laughs> were they? Did they have like like what? If they did have some sort of skill for seeing which projects were successful, how did they know? I mean, CryptoPunks, Dapper Labs, was just trying to experiment with NFTs in 2017 when they created CryptoPunks. How did they? People who who minted them for free know that it would be worth half a million dollars three years later. Is there something that you can look for or is it a lot of luck? Um, this is a very interesting question because there's a lot of things that vary. This is why I love being a kid because what the internet was to like maybe your mom or my mom and dad is the NFTs and the metaverse is what it is to us today. Yeah. When people saw the internet back then and got into it, that's their fortune. But we're going to build our enterprise, our companies, our following in the metaverse and NFTs and crypto. Because I like to say that I got relatively early on crypto. I didn't get that early, but I got early. You were pretty early. Pretty early yeah. compared to most people. And that's why as a kid, kids have a specific form of humor than the generation before them. Like. Right. People in Gen Z always have different opinions or different views on the world than people from 100 years ago. And I believe that it's kind of hard to explain that you can have like a sense that can, because there's a lot of NFT projects, a lot of things in crypto that have failed a lot. Like there's a lot of scams, a lot of fails. And I believe that if you study a lot in this market, and if you just learn a lot in crypto and NFTs, you will eventually start forming something. I feel that those companies that got early on, on maybe CryptoPunks or Board API Club, I feel like they had, they were doing something prior to that. Like, or the people that right. are just looking for a new way to make money. It's just like that quote that I always say, those who know what money is tomorrow 
will no if you believe what money is yesterday you will lose it to those who know what money is tomorrow and you just have to know what is very valuable. I won't say I have a very exquisite taste for NFTs yet because I'm relatively new to right. it. Me and you, Ben, are still relatively new to it. We're learning every single day. We always spend a couple hours just learning more, reading news. And that's reading why... Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is why Gary Vee always talks about like wine tasting. If you don't develop that skill, you won't be able to find the things that are like going to be valuable in the future. And it's the same thing with crypto. If you knew coding prior to crypto, you would probably be a millionaire in the crypto market. And now with NFTs, if you can develop 3D models, if you know art, you will be the one that is going to define the value of money tomorrow. That's kind of just how I would like to see it. Back to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's just like wine tasting. That was a great example. Wine tasting. You you can figure out what wine is best without t- tasting a bunch of them, mm-hmm. and over time you'll you'll learn. You know, I think yeah. another important thing though is something I, as you were saying that it kind of popped into my mind. I think a, a huge indicator of successful NFT projects is the people who run them. The reason why V Friends is worth a lot of money is because people trust in Gary V. You know, the reason why CryptoPunks is worth so much money is because people trust in the community members. Uh, Billionaire Yacht Club, I I don't know too much about, but I think that's an important aspect as well. If you want to predict successful projects, you either have to trust and do research and believe in the founder or, or the team or the community members. In the CryptoPunks community is like all celebrities and athletes and, and billionaires, <laughs> you know? Who wouldn't want to be part of that Discord? Seeing Steph Curry yeah. and Odell Beckham Jr. and Gary V talking about yeah. their mornings, you know? Who, who wouldn't want to be part <laughs> of that? So I think it's twofold. If you want to predict the right NFT projects, you either look at the, the founder and their team or you look at the community and the community members' influence uh, and also how, how tight they are together. Do you agree? Yes, I definitely believe that the founder has a big piece to do that. I remember Gary Vee saying, he says, I believe CryptoPunks, I believe Board Ape Yacht Club, and I believe that V Friends are definitely going to be the ones lasting out because I have faith in myself. And that's why a lot of people have faith in Gary Vee because there's videos of him back in 2011 in Gary talking Trust. about, yeah, talking about like digital currencies and how they're going to be very big in the years to come. He was right. And that's why people tend to put a lot of trust into Gary Vee because he has a history of being pretty right. He got yeah. early to NFTs. I remember seeing V Friends early 2021. And the skill is what you really want. In the business, in the business world, you can't be compared by to like business judgment, which is hard to buy. You only have to earn it through experience and wisdom. Like you have to have a hundred failures in order to get one success or like, it's just like that quote where it's like a thousand no's just for one. Yes. And you have to have a lot of skin in the game. For example, Warren Buffett, he is super wealthy and super smart. And he started to start, he started to make another fund. A lot of people would give him money to invest, 
This is because over the years, he has really strong judgment. He makes like a couple yeah. trades in the stock market a year. Those trades tend to go way up in value. He oh, yeah. has a lot of history in the game. And the same thing that we're developing right now on this podcast, Ben, is like what Warren Buffett was developing when he got into the stock market back in the 1900s. We are going to be the Warren Buffetts of the NFT world. <laughs> I like to say that because I really believe that we can make our yeah. own community, make our own following, and make our own good deals on the NFT world. And we are seeing what works and what doesn't. I have been in a lot of crypto projects. I've seen a lot fail. I've seen a lot succeed. And we're just getting that skin in the game. Speaking of NFTs, I want to talk about the Ethereum gas fees and how a lot of NFT big people, millionaires in NFT, I saw this really good video where it's called, I asked an NFT millionaires, if I had $1,000, what should I do with it? You got to watch that. It's really good. And what they're saying is that Ethereum is super expensive and it's becoming like a Gucci thing to do yeah. because only like big whales that own like CryptoPunks and Board Ape Yacht Club can only do transactions. And that's why I always heard them saying throughout that you have to define and see what is going to be valuable on the other chains. These other chains include like Solana, Avalanche, Harmony, Terra, Polygon, Pulse Chain. And I'm going to be doing a lot more research on all these chains because the Solana network and NFTs is still relatively new. The Ethereum, it's already happened. Everyone knows about it. So we have to find our next mission. We have to find the big winners in these new networks. We have to find the OG projects. The OG projects on the Ethereum is like CryptoKitties. It's like CryptoPunks. It's like Board API Club. We have to find those OGs in Solana, for example. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are moving on to Solana because the gas fees are like 0.00025 cents, which is way better than yeah. the $300 I had to do right. for the Matrix NFT. <laughs> so I'm going to be doing a lot more research on NFTs, totally. all that stuff, all the different chains. I'm really excited for Pulse Chain to release, low gas fees, Polygon, Terra, Harmony, Avalanche, Solana. We're going to be doing a lot more research and we're just going to be learning a lot. Back to you, Ben. Hundred percent. Like, and and here's an interesting thing: a lot of success in this crypto world, and and really anything overall, it's all about risk. It's a huge thing, because the side chains are potentially can be next Polygon because Polygon currently is just stressed out. It's worn out. It's, it's, it's mad at us and so it's charging us super high gas fees right <laughs> it's tired it's worn out all right so so now we have a few other chains coming up polygon maddox solana um pulse it's it's a gamble because on one hand because there are so many is it possible for, for there to be a million you know side chains coexisting <laughs> and and then if you invest in the best project in Pulse, in the best project in Matic, and Matic becomes the next one, but Pulse doesn't take off, that's also a risk. So uh, be very, do a lot of research here. I think, like right now, I'm not, I wouldn't put a ton of money into a project on Solana because I haven't done the research, right? Just as yes. Kamea probably won't put money into ZYX coin or blockchain <laughs> because he hasn't, yeah. you know, he hasn't even heard of it until now. And there's no such thing, yeah. by the way. But but 
<laughs> That's why we always encourage everyone listening to do a ton of research and due diligence into all these projects. I have faith in Polygon because the people who run it were former developers at Ethereum who wanted to create a better thing. Polygon has a huge Twitter following. They have a nice website. They're professional. An OpenSea has adopted Polygon as its secondary coin or, or blockchain. So I like Polygon as, as my long-term bet. Um, out which which pulse or which which side train is your your favorite? Well, I honestly I'm still relatively new to Solana. I haven't done any transactions yet. I'm still learning a lot about it. I am relatively interested in if Pulse Chain can do something with NFTs because I've been awaiting the Pulse Chain network releasing. It's releasing soon, and I'm just really excited about that. Um, the founder, he has done a lot of things, and I believe in that project. I think the side change that could be successful, I'm not a financial advisor, just for everyone listening. I'm not a professional, like Jeff Bezos, financial advisor. I don't know. I haven't made uh, any million-dollar trades, and I'm just a kid trying to learn more about crypto. So I wanted to talk about supply and demand so the way you think i think about it is like when you need more supply you just create more capacity basically and it allows more people right. to get into it so if you run out of gas at a local gas station or the local costco gas station um you just can go to a different gas station and it allows right. people to branch out to different places that's why a truly decentralized ecosystem has multiple different options that's why I can't just have Ethereum the only main blockchain, or else it's not truly decentralized. That's why people are making other alternatives, Pulse Chain, Solana. And I think everybody is trying to make the absolutely perfect chain. And there's a lot of problems with every single one. There's no such thing as the perfect one yet. And <laughs> uh, something that's super funny to me is like, there's this guy who is comments on my videos. <laughs> You have probably, have you ever seen him? He like always talking about Bitcoin on my videos. And oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I, comments, sometimes comments like funny Bitcoin maximalist things like time chain is better than the blockchain. Time chain is the original name of Bitcoin, by the way. And I'm just thinking, well, isn't Bitcoin built on the blockchain? And I'm just like, oh, never mind. Yeah. I don't know your thought. I don't know your thought process, but. And then no one's crazy. The funniest thing. <laughs> no one's crazy yep keep that in mind everyone keep that in mind don't judge a book by its cover no one is crazy <laughs> and the other thing he commented on my on our newest two kids on the block episode that i upload to my channel he <laughs> he uploaded oh, yeah, bitcoin and he, NFTs. yeah <laughs> and, then, and then he was just like it's because bitcoin hasn't made any big nfts because it's not like a company it doesn't have a fund or any of that stuff and uh, i was just thinking about that does Bitcoin even is it even possible to make NFTs? I don't think so. I don't know. It's not precious. I don't think I don't think it's possible because Bitcoin is in the blockchain <laughs> like Ethereum. But that's just some something funny that I want to mention. So if we were to wait for Bitcoin, if we were to wait for Bitcoin to do DeFi and NFTs, we will be we will be married and we would have kids by the time Bitcoin could make NFTs. Right. Like Bitcoin, the Bitcoin protocol moves so slow. Like you can't even, there's like no such thing. You can only buy, you can only buy Bitcoin on that. And that's the point. That's okay. That's what Bitcoin was meant to do. It's the first ever version. It's not the best. It's not the worst. It was just supposed to be digital gold. It's supposed to be digital currency. 
And I guess Bitcoin is going to be the OG for a pretty long time until maybe some alternative is going to be its market cap. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but we really just have to accept the fact that there is going to be multiple different chains that people are going to use. Right. All of them but- could do the exact same thing. But you just have to choose the community you want to work with, the different founder, and that's your choice. Back to you, Ben. Yeah, I find it interesting with the gas station analogy. Let's take that. So, I would say, Kamea, what is your favorite gas station? Three, two, Uh, one. Petro Canada. All right. (laughs) Okay. So, so that's that's something. I think it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, ask the average person what their favorite gas station is and they kind of laugh. <laughs> I like it. So <laughs> I think that's a good analogy for blockchain. Now, uh, we have we, we do have a number one gas station, uh, which <laughs> is Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. Well, more Ethereum for NFTs. Yeah. But, but what about what can make the other gas stations slash blockchains successful? Is it the founders involved? Is it the hmm. developer, like the technology? Is it the projects on it? If there's a CryptoPunk-esque project on XYZ, is that going to make XYZ go up? Or is it just purely based off of, I guess, to be honest, branding? If someone comes along with Dogechain, you know? <laughs> um, So... I'll just take Postchain, for example. They're essentially just a fork of Ethereum, and you're going to start their chain with all the coins in your wallet. Usually, they start a chain and have their native token, and that's really the beginning. Then the, they add coins to their thing. They add coins over time, just like how MetaMask has all these different options you have, how Ethereum has a bunch of different options you can buy on their network. And over time, Postchain will add more and more cryptocurrencies. And... Every chain has different parameters in their business, basically, in their chain that they use to attract users. One chain could use their founder. Everyone knows Vitalik. Everyone knows that Vitalik is a really good guy. He is always working on his project. And if Vitalik made another chain, they would probably join it because it's Vitalik. Totally. He's a good founder. And some people probably... Someone will probably make a SHIB chain, a Shiba Inu chain, or a Doge chain, like you're saying, and yeah. people would join because of the community. Or yeah. then someone would make something like a Disney chain or something. That's just crazy. But <laughs> someone makes something like Disney chain, and then they join that chain because of the utility it can do, of the different options they have, the different users, the different abilities. So what really comes to mind is the users and what they choose to bring adoption like when more people adopt their chain the more credibility that chain will have effect. Yeah. that's the same challenge with a crypto project so this is where competition comes in this is where more and more people start creating their chains and there will be already the ogs solana is already like right. well known and people are already using it ethereum those are already the big players then there are going to be the people the smaller chains sneak, sneaking around making small innovations that make them a little bit better than those chains. People will be able to choose those better, a little bit faster, a little bit cooler, a better name, stuff like that. And it's better for the world to use everything is open. It's better that there's more opportunity than there's only one way to exchange money. And 
that's why I love open sourcing because when you just give your there you when you give your work or you give your abilities to be able to be used and outsourced by other people, it's really awesome that you just make that so other people can use it to their own personal gain or advantage, just crediting you. And that's why crypto is so awesome because there's a lot of people in the crypto market that just really love sharing. They, it seems yeah. that like all these people that are built billionaires in the crypto market are selfish and they keep all their money. But in reality, they're super generous. They give oh, away yeah. they yeah. give away $100,000 NFTs all the time. Oh, yeah. And that's why I believe that there will be some things that define the value of a project. But there are going to be also other things that can do that. Right now, it's still the Wild West. Everything is still chaos in the crypto market. Um, Everything is pretty much dipping right now. The last time I checked it, let's see what's happening. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. by the way, there's like like 10 people made a social network before Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook. So Mm -hmm. by all means, there's a pretty good chance that one of these side chains, you know, MySpace was a huge thing. Until it wasn't, (laughs) okay? So, (laughs) very honestly, there's a good chance Ethereum might not be the top blockchain in 5, 10 years. And so, that's that's another thing that's interesting as well. We think of CryptoPunks and VFriends as a very safe investment. But what if Ethereum isn't worth very much in 5, 10 years? Now, I have faith in Ethereum. I don't really know exactly what my position is here. But the the point <laughs> that we're trying to get at is to, to, it's a wild west, like Kamea said. And you have to do a lot of research to figure out which which projects you believe in, not we believe in, not Gary Vee believes in, what projects you believe in, and then invest accordingly and only play with money you can afford to lose. Even if you are a kid, play with money that you can afford to lose. Even if you have $100 that you got from your grandma and you want to invest it <laughs> into buying a Matrix NFT, great. But but in case... Another thing I would like to add to that, yeah. if you if you get $100 from your grandma and you decide that you want to invest into crypto, hats off to you. Like If you have the idea oh, yeah. in your head that you want to do yeah. that, you're already like 10 steps ahead of yeah. anyone else. You just first have to have the idea, that drive. And you can't call it, just be open to all these opportunities. There are things in crypto that were called crazy like five years ago that are now just an everyday thing. I think this is a good time to end the episode. So for the baby steps, just do some more research on NFT projects on the blockchain, but not on the Ethereum blockchain. Look at some other blockchains like Solana, Pulse Chain even. Uh, Look at Avalanche, um, Harmony, Terra, also known as Luna, and Polygon. And just see what could those, where could the potential OGs of those network be? We're going to try to find our next 10x project or even 100x project next because me and Ben, we're always looking in the crypto market. We love the crypto market. It's always changing. Those are the baby steps because hope you guys enjoyed this episode. This is CryptoCoin Kid. And this is Benjamin Wong. Thanks so much for listening to this amazing episode of two kids on the block and we will see you next week thank you for watching peace
everyone, it's Ben here. It's funny. You know what really, really makes me and Kamea's day? When people leave reviews on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, it takes between 5 and 30 seconds, and it really, really, really helps the show. And the best part, it costs you nothing. So if you enjoy what we do here, if you learn something cool, we would really appreciate it if you just left a quick review. This podcast is intended to provide general information and opinions. Please refer to your own research and discretion when making important financial decisions.